Well, good morning, Christ Central. Good to see you all. Uh, as Evan said, my name is Timothy. I'm one of the pastors here at Christ Central Church. Excited to be with you this morning. In a moment, we're going to open up God's Word together. Before we do that, I do want to make a quick uh, push plug uh, for our Sunday morning volunteering. I know it's been a weird season, a weird year. Uh, we are kind of shifting back into our normal rhythms here at Christ Central. And here, we really value uh, the Sunday worship not be entirely staff-led. Uh, we really want to invite you in to participate with us uh, in making the worship service happen. There's a multitude of ways that you can be involved in Sunday worship through running the PowerPoint, through helping to usher people and direct people, helping our children's ministry with Central Kids. Lots of different opportunities, and we want to invite you to really think about what are your gifts, what are you best uh, at, at serving, what are your passions. Uh, in terms of the logistics of volunteering, uh, the roster for volunteering starts in September and goes through the end of August, so it's a year-long commitment. You, su- you sign up to commit just one Sunday a month, either on the first, second, third, or fourth Sunday of that month. So it's not a huge commitment, uh, but it's very much needed, and it's a great way to be involved and serve your church family. So I just want to encourage you to do that. If you are so inclined, you can sign up for that online through the app. Lots of different ways you can sign up to volunteer, the weekly email. So I just want to put that before you before we dove into the Word together. This morning, though, we are continuing in our sermon series in the Gospel of Luke entitled That You May Know. And this morning we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 5. So I invite you, if you're able, would you stand as we give reverence to God's Word. This morning we'll be reading Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. This is God's Word. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him, on Jesus, to hear the Word of God, he was standing by the lake of Genesaret. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking and they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. The prophet Isaiah says, The grass withers and the flowers fade, but God's word endures forever. Would you pray with me now? Father, we thank you for your word. We believe your word is true. I ask that you would speak to us now through your word, that you would open our eyes to see the truth 
of this text and would we have the courage to apply it to our lives? Would you give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to understand? In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I imagine many of you are familiar with the name John Newton. Uh, If you grew up in a church that utilized the hymnal, you likely saw that name at the top almost every Sunday. Newton wrote 280 hymns in his lifetime. His most famous work, no doubt, being Amazing Grace. However, Newton's life story is not what you would expect from one of the most famous hymn writers of all time, born in 1725 in London, Newton was the son of a Navy captain. And shortly after his mother passed at age seven, his dad took him out to sea with him. And as a young man, Newton quickly began to work his way up in the ranks. Now I should note here that one of the primary jobs of the British Navy in the 18th century was the slave trade. This was the work that Newton was devoting his life to, the cruel horrific, barbarian, purchasing and transporting of African slaves. Fast forward to 1788, this same John Newton, former sea captain of countless slave voyages, publishes a pamphlet. And this pamphlet went viral. The pamphlet was entitled, Thoughts Upon the Slave Trade. In this pamphlet, Newton described the horrific conditions on the slave ships. He says, it, was always, it will always be a subject of humiliating reflection to me that I was once an active instrument in a business at which my heart now shudders. The pamphlet became so popular that it was reprinted over and over again. It was distributed to every single member of parliament. Many believed that Newton's writings were the spark that William Wilberforce needed to successfully outlaw slavery in England. This morning I want to focus on what happened in between. How a man like Newton shifted from an awful slave trader to one of the key proponents of the abolition of slavery. And what happened is, not too dissimilar from our text here in Luke chapter 5, Newton witnessed a miracle at sea. On a journey home from a slave mission, Newton was caught in a horrible storm. And the ship was certainly going to sink. But, and for some reason, some strange reason, in this moment, Newton decided to pray. Now, Newton wouldn't say that he was a follower of God or really a devout Christian, but in this moment, in this time, he prayed. And what happened is that after this prayer, it is reported that the ship's cargo mysteriously, maybe miraculously, shifted to fill a hole in the ship's hull. And the ship began to stop taking on water and drifted to safety. Some may call this a bizarre coincidence. Some might call it dumb luck. Newton believed it was a sign from the Almighty. And on that day, he gave his life to Jesus. And if you study Newton's life, you'll see that, in this, that this conversion led to Newton's change of vocation. He no longer captained slave ships, but ultimately became one of the key proponents of ending slavery in England. 
Our text this morning tells a story where a handful of disciples chose to follow Jesus. This is the first account that we have of people giving their lives to follow Christ. And much like John Newton, their lives were dramatically transformed through something that happened. And this morning I want to examine that transformation that took place in the lives of these young fishermen. How they were transformed from bystander to disciple, from nominal to all in. And I want to then look together and see how that transformation might apply to you and to me. What we see in our text here is that this journey to discipleship really has three stages to it. The first is that the disciples, they they saw and heard some things. And then secondly, they confessed some things. And then lastly, they left it all behind. So I want to look with you at those three stages, the seeing and the hearing the confessing, and then leaving behind. So let's begin. First of all, what is it that the disciples saw and heard that initiated this great transformation? Now, at first glance, you might think that verse 1 in our text is just a throwaway verse, that, that Luke is simply transitioning us to the next scene. However, it's in this verse that we see the thing that sets the entire transformation into motion. Look again at verse 1. It says, On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God. A cursory read of our text might leave one to believe that, that Jesus had just met these guys. And that after this one successful fishing trip, they abandoned everything to follow this crazy man. But if you look back in chapter 4, you'll see that prior to this fishing trip, Jesus had already developed a huge reputation. He'd been preaching regularly in the synagogues. And as verse 1 highlights, he was quite the teacher. He had developed a huge following. And here in chapter 5, this teacher had left the synagogue where the teaching was supposed to take place. Our text is Jesus on vacation. He was trying to get away from it all to take a break, but the crowd wouldn't have it. They were so caught up in Jesus' words, they followed him all the way to his lake vacation day and demanded some more. But look closely at our text. What is it that they were so hungry for? What did they want from Jesus? The text says they were pressing in on Jesus to hear the word of God. There's a massive, important truth here, and that, that truth is that transformation always begins with the word of God. We're going to see some cool stuff in this text, some, some really cool things that happen, but, but the most important thing that takes place here is that God's word is spoken to God's people. It's absolutely necessary. There's no record in the Bible of transformation happening apart from the word of God. So I want to be clear. In this, wor- in this story... The word of God is actually every single word that comes out of Jesus' mouth. The Bible makes plain that Jesus is God, fully God, fully man, so all his words are divine. This is what the author of Hebrews is talking about in verse 1. He says, long ago at many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son. However, for us, as we're seeking to apply this text to our life, We need to recognize that the word of God is found here. 
in this book. And so as Hebrews 4 tells us later, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. We find God's word laid out for us here, which is why here at Christ Central, the Bible is preeminent. This is our primary and all-sufficient guide for faith and life. We find God's words here. And so I encourage you, I challenge you, I, I caution you to ask yourselves as we begin to think about what does transformation look like in my life? What does this book, what role does it play in your life? What is the prominence or lack thereof of the Bible and God's word in your life? Are you seeking transformation apart from God's word? Are you seeking to be transformed without the word of God? Listen to how Moses instructs us to handle this book in Deuteronomy Deuteronomy chapter 11. He says, you shall therefore lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall teach them to your children, talking of them when you are sitting in your house and when you are walking by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates that your days and the days of your children may be multiplied in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers to give them as long as the heavens are above the earth. Church, are we pressing in to hear the word of God? The transformation from bystander to disciple takes place as God's word becomes central in our hearts and in our lives. What's interesting in this story is that the transformation begins with this hearing, the hearing of God's word, but then it actually takes off in the seeing. It was through hearing the word of God that the fishermen's appetites are whetted, but it was through something that they saw that it really set this dramatic life transformation into motion. But what is it that they saw? What does the text say that the disciples, these young fishermen saw? They, just, they saw Jesus perform a miracle. Now what's interesting here is this was likely not the first of Jesus' miracles that the men had witnessed. Luke 4 gives us countless reports of healings that Jesus was doing. He was healing people like crazy all over the place. But there was something about this particular miracle that really spoke to these men. It was tailor-made for them, if you will. Don't you love it? How Jesus has this way of meeting us right where we're at. We see that time and time again in the scriptures, and I hope you've Notice that in your own life. It's what happens here in Luke 5. Jesus, a carpenter by trade, outfishes the fishermen. He does it in the most extravagant of ways. He, He catches an unheard of amount of fish in a time of day when no fish are ever caught. You see, these fishermen didn't have these fancy poles and and reels like we have today. They used big nets to catch fish. And in order to catch fish with a big net, they need to be near the surface. And everyone knows that the fish are not near the surface during the heat of the day. It's just too hot. But Jesus is inviting them to cast their net in the middle of the day, something that's not unwise. It's just silly. It makes no sense at all. However, verse 6, and when they had cast their nets, they enclosed a large number of fish, so many that their nets began to break. 
Church, what I want to make sure you notice here is what the, the fishermen witnessed was not simply that Jesus was a really good fisherman, that he would have been a great fishing buddy, but, but the, the miracle that they witnessed revealed to them the true identity of the man who was standing in front of them. That is what they saw on that day that changed their life. They saw that Jesus was in fact the Christ, the Messiah, the long-awaited-for one that was to rescue God's people, the Lord of heaven and earth. And it's that seeing that changes your life. Have you seen that? Have you come to recognize that Jesus is the Christ? Has Jesus shown up in your life in ways that make it hard to deny that he is the Son of God? I want to share with you some of what I have seen. Just this month, I saw a man get so sick that the doctors and nurses seemed convinced that he wasn't going to make it. And the church prayed, and he's doing awesome now. I've seen God set people free from addiction who've been stuck in addiction most of their lives. I've seen God provide for people financially in miraculous ways where the exact dollar amount shows up without the need even being voiced. I've seen God intervene in relationships that were so profoundly broken and bring about reconciliation. Not just in the lives of other people's, I've seen God fill my nets to overflowing in so many profound ways. I can't tell tell you how many times I've opened up this book and it's as if God had written it for me that morning, knowing exactly what I've needed. I've been in times of extreme pain and suffering and through prayer and fellowship with God, Have him turn that pain into peace and gratitude. More than all that, I've seen a wayward man, a man who was completely self-absorbed, who had no problems hurting people to get what he wanted, transformed into a new man who has new longings and new desires, desires to serve God and to serve others. That's my story. That's how I've seen God show up in my life. It's through seeing all of that that I have become utterly convinced, like the disciples, that Jesus is the Christ, the Lord of heaven and earth. Have you seen that? Do you know one of the primary reasons why we gather, one of the reasons we have city groups and huddles and youth ministry and men's ministry, women's ministry, is to create spaces for testimony to happen to create spaces for us to be able to share with one another what we have seen, to share the ways that we've been reminded that Jesus is in fact the Christ, the Lord of heaven and earth. And so I just want to charge you, I want to challenge you, would you use those spaces to do that? Let's not just chew the fat when we get together, but make sure that we are devoting time to testifying to one another how good our God has been to us. brings us to now the second stage of transformation found in our text. The fishermen, they saw and heard some things which led to them ultimately laying down everything and following Jesus. But there's something important that happens in between that. Look again at verse 8. It says, when Simon Peter saw it, he saw the fish in the net, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Isn't it interesting that Peter's initial response is not, let's go, Jesus, I'm with you, but it's get away from me, Jesus. 
get out of here. I'll never forget the night in college when I encountered the Lord afresh after years of wayward, licentious living. Never had my, my sin been so apparent and so revolting to me as it was in that moment. I was flooded with grief and remorse over what I had done to myself, to others. So much of me wanted to run away from God in that moment. The guilt and the shame was overwhelming. You see, sometimes you have to go down, way down, before you can come back up. That's what Jesus is talking about what Paul later talks about when they refer to this movement from death to life. This is the result of coming to grips with who Jesus really is. It always results in us seeing how broken and messed up we are, how needy we are. This is what repentance is all about. It's this acknowledgement of how unworthy we are to be in God's presence, much less the recipients of his love. Which is why Peter says, get away from me, Jesus. Because Peter knows that someone as holy and righteous as Jesus should not be associating with someone as sinful as him. Someone as sinful as, as you and me. And it's in light of this we, that we must pause here and examine our own hearts. And reflect on whether or not we have come to grips with how utterly unworthy we are to be in God's presence. If you haven't done that, I want to encourage you to take a deeper, more honest dive into who Jesus is and to who you really are. To be a disciple of Jesus is to let go of any hope that you are good enough, that you performed well enough, and to fully embrace that you need Jesus more than anything else in the world. Only then are we fit and ready to follow him. Which brings us to the third and final stage of the transformation, this leaving it all behind stage. I think it's easy to miss the the magnitude of what is taking place here, especially because it's so common and easy for people to change their vocations in America in 2021. But vocational change was almost unheard of in the ancient Near East. No doubt these men's fathers and grandfathers and great-grandfathers and great-great-grandfathers, they'd all been fishermen. This was the only thing they knew. Fishing was their only means of survival. And so to leave it all behind, to abandon their boats and their nets, knowing that there was no way they would ever get them back, this was beyond risky. This was vocational suicide. I grew up in Birmingham, Alabama, the deep south. Everybody that I knew was either Christian or Jewish. There was no third option. You were one or the other. To be a human being in Birmingham, Alabama meant that you embraced one of these two paths. You know, it cost me absolutely nothing to be a Christian. There wasn't anything that I needed to leave behind in order to follow this path. I just jumped in the river and floated along with everybody else. How different of a journey to discipleship it was for me than it was for these fishermen. I'm not, I'm not saying or in any way bemoaning the religious liberty that existed for me as a child or am I bemoaning the easy access I had to Christian teaching. However, there is much that is lost when it costs very little to follow Christ. Later in Luke's gospel, 
Jesus refers to this final step in the process as a death. He says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Whoever would save his life will lose it. Whatever loses his life for my sake will save it. Clearly, to be a follower of Christ in Durham in 2021 does not require that we abandon our vocation and start wandering around the world. But the point of the text is that it most certainly costs something. There is much that we have to leave behind. But what is it that we, living in Durham 2021, have to leave behind in order to truly embrace discipleship and follow Jesus? Think about what fishing was for these fishermen. It was their everything. It brought them money, security, status, notoriety, likely satisfaction as well. They could not live without it. So then the question for you and for me is, what is it that we believe we cannot live without? Because that is the thing that Jesus is calling us to leave behind in order to follow him. As one author beautifully states, Christian conversion always comes in exchange for the life you once loved, not in addition to it. People have much to lose in coming to Christ. That was what was really missing for me as a child in in Birmingham, Alabama, because everywhere I turned, people embraced Christianity as an addition to their life, an add-on, something that you put on like a, a fancy suit. Can you imagine if the disciples treated following Jesus as an add-on, something that they did in addition to their fishing? You know, just picture the disciples walking down the road with Jesus, carrying the boats with them. Somebody's got the nets, just in case this whole Jesus thing doesn't work out. What a sight that would have been. Church, what boats and nets are you holding on to in case the Jesus thing doesn't work out? The good news is that the gospel clearly reveals that this leaving it behind is a process. It doesn't happen overnight. Yes, the disciples left their boats and nets, but what we see throughout the rest of the gospels is they are stumbling back and forth in and out of devotion to Jesus, arguing about who's the greatest, wondering how much reward they're going to get in heaven. They're messes just like you and me. call of discipleship is great, but the good news is that it's a journey that is worked out over time. As one commentator says, to leave it all behind means to give up what we want for us so that we can have what Jesus wants for us. We do this in principle as soon as we begin to follow Christ, then we do it in practice every time something threatens to stand between us and a total commitment to Christ. That's the Christian life. And that's my hope and my prayer for you and for me is that as we follow Jesus, we'll have eyes to see the things that stand between us and a total commitment to him. And that we would ask God for the courage and the strength to leave those things behind and to follow him. Our text is this beautiful picture of how transformation happens from bystander to disciple, from nominal Christian to all in. We hear the word of God. 
We see God show up in amazing, miraculous ways in our life, revealing that he is the Son of God, and then we repent. We leave it all behind, follow him. The final question remains from our text is, where are we going? If we choose to follow Christ, if we leave it all behind, where is Jesus taking us to? And Jesus gives the answer here in verse 10. He says, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. Have you ever wondered why God doesn't immediately take us home to heaven upon conversion? Why he doesn't just pull us out of this sin-filled, broken, challenging, painful world as soon as we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ? The answer is in verse 10. He wants to use us first. He wants to use you. How cool is that? That God wants to use you. He has the whole world at his disposal. I mean, he could make that magnolia tree out there, walk in here, come up on stage and start talking about how great God is. He could do it any way he wants to. But he's decided that he wants to use you. He wants you to be his message bearers. Transform disciples, we get to do that, to fish for men and women, to bring God's love to the people of this city, his mercy, his word, his truth. And the good news is our job is to do the fishing. God does the catching. We just throw it out there. John Newton encountered Jesus Christ and discovered that he really is who he says he is. And as a result, Newton was transformed from bystander to disciple, from nominal Christian to all in. And God used Newton to change the world. My hope and prayer for you, for me, is that we would be transformed by the living Christ. That God would be so kind to use us to transform this city and maybe even the world. Would you pray with me? Father, help us to see and hear, to hear your word, to see that you are at work in our lives in the miraculous and amazing ways. And Father, as we encounter you, would we repent and acknowledge that we are in need of your grace. And as we do that, Lord, help us to leave it behind. Help us to leave it all behind and follow you on this mission to rescue and redeem the world. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.